The boys have finally done it. Arsenal have beaten Manchester City. It wasn't pretty, but who really cares? The Gunners finally get the monkey off their back. It finished Arsenal 1, Manchester City 0, and we're going to review it right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Tomiyasu into Kai Havertz. Chest it down, Martinelli's shot. Deflecting! Arsenal have broken the deadlock on 86 minutes. And it's Gabriel Martinelli with the goal. The substitute, Gabriel Martinelli. He wasn't fit enough to start, but he scored what could be the winner here. His deflected shot beats Edison. And Arsenal are a goal to the good on 87 minutes. Will you listen to just how loud that was? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. On this edition, we're going to look back on that brilliant victory over Manchester City. Was it a great performance from Arsenal? I think it was, but not in the way that you'd normally categorise a great performance. We'll get into all of that on this edition of the show. Cannot wait to get stuck in uh, to what we've just watched this afternoon. A big hello to everybody in the live chat. Apologies for the delay in the start. You know what I'm like. I'm Greek. I was born late, right? Um, there's no point in going over it over and over again. Uh, so many of you in the chat already, so I'm not going to go through um, everybody and say hello individually, but a collective hello to everybody who is with us. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed this afternoon. Um, I hope you're all buzzing. Look, I said before the game that it was impossible to label a game must win eight games into the season. And equally, I felt that you couldn't really label it as must not lose either for the same reasons. I said that a victory for Arsenal would be significant in that it would give us the confidence boost that we need when it comes to Manchester City, with whom I feel like we've had a bit of an inferiority complex recently. You know, we had two contrasting performances against them last season in the league. The first time we played them at the Emirates Stadium, I thought we were brilliant. And we were desperately, desperately unlucky in the end not to get anything out of that. But at the Etihad, they absolutely battered us. So it was difficult to know where Arsenal were in comparison to Manchester City. Um, it was difficult to know, you know, where Arsenal stood against them. 
Mikel Arteta talked about the need to not be too emotional, the need to be able to control those emotions. And it's difficult to do that sometimes when you're in a packed stadium full of supporters that are urging you on at every opportunity, that want you to get forward at every opportunity, that want you to take shots from distance, that want you to take risks and play with a certain intensity throughout a game that just isn't sustainable for 90 minutes. And then the legs tire and all the rest of it. And before you know it, you're being picked apart. Mikel Arteta talked about this in the build-up to the game, and I thought that was the best thing about Arsenal's performance today, was that they were mature, was that they were streetwise when they needed to be, was that they knew when to push and when to just ease off a little bit. People used their brains. People, I think, on the pitch, wearing Arsenal colours today, showed to me that they've grown up. And listen, it's eight games into the season. So just like I wouldn't have been going overboard had we been beaten. I'm not going to go overboard about Arsenal going on and winning the league and all the rest of it. We spoke to Pep Guardiola after the game and he said, you know, it's only October. And in my experience, there's a long, long way to go. And I agree with him. I do. But for Arsenal to get over this hurdle of Manchester City, to get past what's definitely been a mental block up against them is brilliant. We beat them in the community shield on penalty kicks. And, you know, I thought, other than the fact that we won, which was obviously great, and we got the community shield and all the rest of it, I thought the most important thing on that day was that we were competitive. And it looked like we'd learned in that we applied a bit more control in our game style. We'd go when we needed to. We'd go when the opportunity presented itself. But we'd also know when to drop off, when to sit off. We'd also learn, it seems, to play in bursts rather than to try and play with that incredible intensity for 90 minutes, which just isn't sustainable, particularly against a side of their calibre and a side that will have you chasing shadows at times. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with a side that are going to have a lot of the ball? Well, you drop off yourself and you let them have the ball, but you let them have the ball in certain areas and you make sure that you control certain situations. Even today, where I think the general consensus is that Arsenal were the better team, Manchester City edged it on possession. They had 51% of the ball. That's literally edging it, right? But they had slightly more possession than Arsenal. And that was okay. And that was fine because we didn't allow them to create anything. They had four attempts at goal. How many games do Manchester City go into and only have four attempts at goal? They only had one attempt on target in the entire 94 minutes, which is a testament to the way Arsenal defended. We're going to talk team selection. We're going to talk how we were feeling going into the game. We're going to talk about how the game went. We're going to focus in on individuals. I got a ton of questions from you guys on Twitter and we're going to take some questions from the live chat box as well. But before we do that, if I could just ask you to please, if you're watching us on YouTube, leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel as well. If you're new, it really, really does help. And if you're listening on audio, well, please do leave us a review as well. That really, really helps. Did I say that already? I don't even know. I'm I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing. Like, I've been working today since six o'clock in the morning. I got up at five o'clock, got in a cab at 5.30, went down to TalkSport, did the papers, the paper review on the weekend breakfast show, came home, had a coffee, headed straight back out, did some work with Five Live, then made my way straight to the Emirates Stadium, Covered the game for BBC Radio London. And I've just got home about 25, 30 minutes ago. And I'm on here podcasting. Why? Because I am buzzing. It might be tiring. It might be a long old day and all the rest of it. But I'll tell you what. 
I am so lucky and I'm so privileged to be able to cover this football club. And I will never take it for granted because days like this make the shit days worth it. Days like this make driving to France in the middle or driving back from France in the middle of the night worth it after a defeat. This club brings all of us so much joy, so much happiness. That's what football is all about. You know, there will be highs like there are today. There will be lows as well. But it's it's the fact that we have something that we can love and 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 focus on and and you know that can get us out of the real world in terms of you know you might have some crap going on but the football is always for me anyway something that helps me forget about everything else and helps me enjoy um you know something each week a couple of times a week this season and all the rest of it like football is so so important what the hell do people do that don't like football what do they do at the weekend i don't understand i've got a couple of friends believe it or not i don't know why i'm friends with them to be honest but they don't like football what do you do at the weekend what do you do on a sunday seriously drives me mad anyway um let's um Let's go over uh, to the BBC Sport website where we can get some of the match facts and we can start uh, breaking this one down because I think there's a lot to talk about here. We're going to talk about the team selection. We're going to talk about how Mikel Arteta managed the game, which I thought was spot on today, by the way. Um, we're going to talk about some individual performances as well. Um, Arsenal versus Man City today. Finish 1-0 to the Gunners at Emirates Stadium. Arsenal had 49% of the possession. Manchester City edged it, as I say, with 51%. The Gunners had 12 shots in comparison to Manchester City's four. A couple of shots on target from us, which is not many really at home, um, in comparison to their one. Five corners, which isn't a lot. Four corners for them isn't a lot. Um, it was a game that I've seen described by a lot of non-Arsenal fans as a game that was lacking in quality. I've seen that quite a bit on social media. Some of my friends that aren't Arsenal fans, the first thing they said to me after the game was, yeah, it was a bit dull, but, you know, great, great result for Arsenal, great win for Arsenal. The truth is, I don't care that it was not this free-flowing attacking game of football. I don't care that it didn't live up to the standards that Liverpool and Manchester City were producing when they were going head-to-head. Uh, over the last few years. I don't care about any of that. I do not care about any of that. I thought this was a game that did have quality in it, a different type of quality, granted, but I thought it was two sides that defended really well, um, generally speaking. I thought it was two sides that were constantly evolving in terms of their shape and in terms of their tactics and in terms of um, you know, how they were going to try and unpick one another, dealing with problems. You know, for example, Mikel Arteta's decision to bring Takahiro Tomiyasu, he told me after the game, was to deal with Jeremy Doku. And then Jeremy Doku was switched by Pep Guardiola almost instantly over to the other side. So it was like, it was genuinely like a chess game, this. Two managers that know each other inside out, that understand each other's footballing philosophies, inside out, going head-to-head -head with two incredibly talented group of players. There was plenty of quality out there. It just wasn't shots and chances and goal-mouth scrambles and all the rest of it. A game of chess is how I would describe what we witnessed today. When I got to Emirates Stadium, I have to say I wasn't feeling that confident. And I hadn't been feeling that confident ever since the Lons game. I thought we'd lose today. I, I really, really did. and. 
you know, as we got closer and closer to kickoff, I started to think, if we can get a point here, I'll be pretty pleased with that. I'll be pretty satisfied with that. If we can get a point here, if if we can avoid defeat, keep within touching distance of Manchester City, stay within a point of them, uh, that that's great. I'm I'm more than happy with that. I'll be more than satisfied with that. People were were building up this narrative before the game. Arsenal absolutely have to go and beat Manchester City because they're without Rodri and because they're without Kevin De Bruyne. Well, Arsenal were without Bukayo Saka. Arsenal had a Gabriel Martinelli that wasn't able to play more than 45 minutes. Arsenal had a Thomas Partey who had no minutes in the tank, having been out for a long period of time. Arsenal have no jury and timber. Arsenal have plenty of problems of their own. And so I felt like this game was being unfairly assessed prior to its kickoff in that everybody went, well, Arsenal are at home and Man City are missing this player and that player. So Arsenal need to definitely go out and win it. As if people had just forgotten that Manchester City are, by quite some distance, the best football team in the world. Like, there is... No entitlement to beat them. Like, nobody's entitled to beat them, I should say. Where does that entitlement come from? I don't understand. So for me, particularly when the team news came out, I thought a point would be something I'd be quite pleased with. And then the team news dropped. Now, we were in the press room when the team news dropped, and I was disappointed when I learned that Bukayo Saka wasn't in the team because I'd convinced myself a week that he was going to start. Uh, despite what happened in Lons, I thought that Mikel Arteta was bluffing. I thought that he was going to bring him into the side. Turns out, as uh, our very own Graham Sutherland called out on Twitter the other day, Mikel Arteta was double bluffing because based on the fact that Bukayo Saka, he says, hasn't trained and will now not be fit to go and play with England, you know, it, it suggests, doesn't it, that there was never any hope, really, that he was going to play. Martinelli had told Mikel Arteta in the lead up to the game that he was going to be ready for City and the medical staff were telling Gabriel Martinelli as Mikel Arteta revealed in the press conference, no, Gabby, it's too early for you. It's too early for you. According to Mikel Arteta, when Leandro Trossard went off, which was because he felt something apparently in his hamstring, which is obviously the problem that he'd had recently. When he turned around, Martinelli was already ready. And was already set to come on and, and, and to try and have an impact. So, you know, the team news drops. And and I have to say, I was a little bit wary about it. I mean, it was the back four that I wanted. White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. Personally, I wanted Ramsdale in goal. Um, it was Raya. In the midfield, I wanted to see Odegaard, Rice and Partey. But I understood that there was a chance that Partey... Um, wasn't fit enough to play from the start. And that proved to be the case. Jorginho came in and my first thought was, oh no, Jorginho. But then when I started to think about it and break down, you know, maybe how this was going to work and, and how the shape would look and came to the sort of realisation that actually it was probably going to be Jorginho sitting at the base. But that's okay when Declan Rice is there as well to offer that little bit of extra protection. I felt quite comfortable about it. You know, it was an attempt from Mikel Arteta, I think, to exert control in the game in the first half. I think he always had the intention of bringing Thomas Partey on at some point. But I think he wanted us to have a bit more control 
in the midfield. And that's why Jorginho got the nod rather than someone like Kai Havertz, for example, which I think people would have probably predicted was more likely or even Fabio Vieira. The forward line didn't really inspire me when I looked at it. And Getia through the middle with Jesus forced out wide again, I was thinking. Leandro Trossard didn't exactly impress him midweek out in France. And I started to think, well, you know, the midfield is kind of okay. You know, you can probably get through with that midfield if everyone has a good game. And I looked at the forward line and I went, that's a little bit underwhelming, isn't it? But I was wrong. And I'm happy to say I was wrong about some uh, of the aspects of this team selection. And we'll get into that stuff in a minute. Um, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video, guys. It really, really, really does help. I wouldn't ask if it doesn't. I realize it's annoying when I ask, but it really, really does matter. So please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Uh, and of course, subscribe to the channel uh, if you are new. Um, Big thank you to uh, Daniel for his super chat donation to the channel. He says, I believe you to be a brilliant podcaster and YouTuber. So thank you. Thank you, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate um, your donation. It honestly means a lot. Um, we'll talk about some of the key incidents in the game uh, in just a second. And then uh, we'll break down some individual performances. We'll also um, reflect on some of the things Mikel Arteta had to say after the game. And I'd love to absolutely love to um, hear from you guys in the comments as well. So we're going to do all that on a jam-packed edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. Right, welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. Okay, um, so let's start off with the way the first half went. Now, for me, I thought we started nervously. I was really, really concerned by David Raya's performance in the sense of, you know, we, we were playing the ball back to him. He was just taking a little bit too long um, in all the situations. He was allowing Julian Alvarez in particular to close him down. And that almost resulted in him sort of deflecting one of Raya's clearances into the back of the net. He hit the side net. And I have to say, from where I was sitting, I thought it was in. Um, so that was... Um, a nervy start. They obviously had the early chance. Vardiol's effort uh, back across the goal. Declan Rice um, was back on the line, thankfully, and able to uh, get it clear. And then um, in that same kind of phase of play, they put the ball back in the box. Haaland flicked it on. And there was Nathan Ake, whose first touch looked excellent, but then he couldn't keep his effort down. And he fired it over the top of the crossbar. And I thought, my God, we've got away with that, haven't we? It felt like as the half went on, Arsenal started to settle that little bit more, gain a little bit of control. You always felt wary of what City could do on the counter-attack. And it was a bit of like, um, you know, in boxing, when you got a couple of big heavyweights and they're just kind of jabbing each other, but no one's really willing to open up and swing a big one and, and commit. That's what it felt like in the first half for me. Um, Eddie and Ketia had a shot, decent. Um, Gabriel Jesus caused a few problems down the right-hand side, but I noticed, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, that, you know, Bukayo Saka, we always talk about this, he always makes that run where he sort of drifts really wide, almost onto the touchline, and then he sort of, when the fullback gets the ball, instead of pulling wide like some players do from a slightly narrower position, our wingers like to pull wide and then make a, a dart inside, and then there's normally like this kind of 
reverse angle pass that the fullback plays for for Saka or, or whoever to run onto. We do it on the other side as well with Martinelli. Ben White tried that a couple of times in the first half, but Gabriel Jesus wasn't quite making those runs. You know, he probably would if he played in that position for Arsenal week in, week out. But I think you could just see at times that there wasn't quite that same level of communication, that level of, you know, I don't know, telepathy. There wasn't that relationship really between White and, and Jesus down that right-hand side. And it wasn't really there between Jesus and Odegaard either, who, um, you know, normally combines so well with Bukayo Saka as well. So, um, yeah, I... I we got to half time, and, and I guess the big talking point at that stage for me was the Mateo Kovacic stuff. I mean, I thought this was wild. You know, in a week where everybody's looking at the officials and everybody's hoping that they have good performances, strong performances, so that we're not sitting here again talking about them, so that we can actually talk about the spectacle, we can actually talk about the football. You know, they, they go and appoint Michael Oliver to this game. Why? Because the PGMOL will tell you that Michael Oliver is the best referee in the Premier League and that he's the highest ranked referee in the Premier League or the one that is best thought of, etc., etc. So why not give him the big game? I don't blame Michael Oliver for not sending Mateo Kovacic off for the first challenge. I don't. Because I don't think until I saw the replay, I realised exactly where he caught Martin Odegaard. And just how dangerous that challenge was. VAR takes a look at it and somehow comes to the decision that that is not serious foul play. That is, I would say, one of the worst decisions I've seen this season. I think it was a terrible decision. I think it was a disgusting challenge from Mateo Kovacic. Not just the studs showing, not just the fact that he catches him on the ankle, but the sheer force of it as well, I thought was really, really dangerous. But anyway, I accept that there is a tiny little bit of a debate around that, right? Some people looked at it and went red card. Others looked at it. And I know this because I was speaking to people in the ground. Others looked at it and went, well, it's an orange card. By the way, that pisses me off when people say that. What is an orange card? There isn't an orange card in football. So stop using that. It's a nonsense. But then to top it off, later on in the half, he goes and makes an almost identical challenge on Declan Rice, maybe not with the same force, maybe not quite with the same recklessness, but he slides in from an angle, doesn't get anywhere near the ball, doesn't get on the ball at all. And somehow Michael Oliver has decided that that is not worthy of a second yellow card. Now, I understand that referees look at games like this and they go, well, we don't really want to kill the spectacle. We don't want to reach for our pockets too early. That's one we hear quite a bit, don't we? But there was no doubt about it that those were, at the very least, two challenges that warranted yellow cards. Therefore, Mateo Kovacic should not have been on the pitch. And I was livid at halftime. I remember going down the steps into the press room and I remember saying that is an absolute joke. And you know what's going to happen now. Pep Guardiola is going to take him off and Manchester City have got away with it. You can imagine my surprise when we came out for the second half and Mateo Kovacic was still on the pitch, I thought, what, what's Pep doing here? I'd have almost certainly taken him off. Couldn't believe it. But anyway, second half starts, and Arsenal are forced into a change. A change that sees um, Leandro Trossard, who, as I mentioned, uh, just picked up some sort of injury. Mikel Arteta 
touched on it in the press conference. He said he felt something, uh, Leandro Trossard, and he had to come off. Um, Martinelli came on, and I thought, good substitution, that. And I didn't know at the time that Leandro Trossard had pulled up with an injury, but I didn't really feel he was having his best game. I thought he was quite isolated. Didn't think he got on the ball anywhere near enough. And I felt like we needed Martinelli's directness and the width that he brings to try and stretch a Manchester City side who looked really, really compact a lot of the time. One of the things I've always noticed about Manchester City when I've watched them in the flesh is that they are incredibly good at when they lose the ball, getting bodies back behind it really, really quickly. That's what Manchester City are brilliant at. That sometimes goes under the radar because we're often talking about Erling Haaland and Julian Alvarez and the brilliance that those two produce. But the way they defend is is, is really, really good and really, really incredible, actually. Speaking of Erling Haaland, I, I do think they missed him today, don't you? Really, really struggle without him. But anyway, second half comes. I thought Arsenal were better. I thought Arsenal did really, really well to keep a kind of lid on the emotions because the crowd was up for it. You know, they were urging Arsenal forward at times. There was a spell, I thought, around about 60-odd minutes, 65 minutes, where Manchester City started to get on the ball, started to control the tempo a little bit, and Arsenal had to dig in. Uh, Arsenal had to be smart. And it was on 68 minutes that they brought on um, what Clive uh, Palmer on Twitter referred to as the bomb squad. Um, John Stones. Mateus Nunez and Jeremy Doku replacing, yep, Mateo Kovacic, who was on a yellow card. Um, Rico Lewis, who was playing in midfield, the youngster, I thought he did pretty well. Um, to be fair to him, he looks like a player. And Julian Alvarez, who wasn't as effective today as he normally is. But Man City made those three changes. And at that point, I was concerned because they just started to get their feet on the ball a lot more uh, around that period of time. They were knocking the ball around. They were finding uh, a few spaces here and there. We started to look a little bit tired, I thought, in certain departments. And I was really, really concerned. But credit to Mikel Arteta, because he managed this excellently by, what, um, just six or seven minutes later, making a triple change of his own. Tomiyasu was always going to come on for Zinchenko at some point because, well, that's just what Mikel Arteta does. Uh, Thomas Partey um, came on for Jorginho, who I think was starting to tire a little bit at that point, but was on a yellow card as well, which didn't help his case. And during that period of around about, I don't know, 60 minutes to 70 minutes, when I felt like we were just starting to lose a grip on the game, one of the big problems was that when we did win it back, and when our defence were able to, to regain possession and we'd sort of clear it outfield, the ball just wasn't sticking with Eddie Nketiah. It just wouldn't stick. He couldn't control it. He couldn't bring it under his... That's a bit harsh to say he couldn't control it. He couldn't hold it up. He couldn't hold the play up. He couldn't do enough to just give us that bit of uh, breathing space that we needed to be able to sort of move up the pitch and try and relieve some of the pressure on ourselves. And I thought going into the game, we talked about it on the preview, didn't we, that Mikel Arteta would consider Havertz as a centre-forward. Said before the game that Havertz's best performance for Arsenal up until this point was, of course, his performance in the Community Shield where he played in that position. And, yeah, you know, I thought that was a smart change. It was the right change. Mikel Arteta told me, uh, as I say, after the game, uh, that what he wanted to do was bring Tommy on at left-back partly because he was worried about Doku, who had come on for Manchester City on that right-hand side. But very quickly, Pep Guardiola responded to that and moved Doku over to the far side. An example of what I was talking about earlier. 
a game of chess between two elite coaches, two elite managers, constantly trying to outthink one another. Um, and, you know, once those changes were made and we had Partey's presence in the midfield, that little bit more stability, um, I felt that we looked comfortable. I never felt that we really had that creative spark to go on and get the winning goal. I thought there were a few moments down the right-hand side where, you know, Gabriel Jesus and his ability to operate in really tight spaces got us to the byline and we were able to cut balls back, but we weren't really creating any clear-cut chances. And I have to say at that point, around about 75 minutes, I was happy with the point. I was happy with the draw. I would have been happy with it before the game in truth. But at this point, I was like, right, just... Don't get too emotional. Don't be stupid. Don't be naive. Just make sure now that you do not throw this away. Who would have thought that on 87 minutes we'd get the goal that we did? Who would have thought that the ball would be played up towards um, the centre forward position and that Takahiro Tomiyasu, of all people, the man that was brought on to shore things up at the back, would be in and around the penalty area, nodding the ball down to Kai Havertz, who then brings it under control, has great awareness around, you know, what's happening in and around him, understands that, you know, he's got defenders over his shoulders, probably not going to be able to turn and get the shot off, knows full well where Gabriel Martinelli is, and then he just rolls it into his path. Gabriel Martinelli takes on the shot. Look, you don't shoot, you don't score. It's as simple as that. Takes a big old deflection off Nathan Ake, goes into the back of the net, and the place went absolutely bonkers. Absolutely wild. Those moments at Emirates Stadium are just priceless. Incredible, incredible moments. And on 87 minutes, you look at the clock and you go, well, it's Man City, so I'm not going to get excited. I'm not going to say that we've won it. But my God, if we can't hold on to this lead now for three minutes plus stoppage time, then, you know, we don't deserve anything from this game, but we were able to do it. And the best thing about it was that at no point after that goal, and I know it wasn't a long period of time, four minutes of stoppage time, three minutes in all time, seven odd minutes. I just didn't feel that we were ever in any danger of conceding a goal. And when you're talking about that against the side of Manchester City's calibre, you've got to be proud and you've got to be happy. And you could see the scenes at the end of the match. I haven't seen what happened yet with Carl Walker. Um, because I was at the game, but lots of people have been talking about that post-match. I'll have a look at it a little bit later on, um, and we'll talk about it if we need to on tomorrow's episode. But yeah, look, today wasn't about the swashbuckling style of football that we all love to see on a weekly basis. Today was about getting a result. Today was about not getting beat first and foremost. And if we could land a knockout punch on Manchester City, then great. And we were able to do it. We got a bit of fortune. We got a slice of luck. But you know what? We deserved it. We made our own luck today because of how mature I thought the display was today. We're going to go through some individual performances in a minute. Uh, and we're going to take some of your questions to so start getting them in the chat box. If you put a little cue at the beginning, that will really, really help. Uh, across uh, the two platforms that we're streaming on at the moment, we've got over a thousand of you watching live right now. So if you wouldn't mind leaving a like on the video, Please do so. It really, really does help. There's no reason why we shouldn't have three, four hundred likes on the board at the absolute minimum. So like, subscribe, all the rest of it. Really, really short pause. Then we're going to do some individual performances and then we're going to take some of your questions as well from the live chat. Don't go anywhere. 
Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family. Um, right, we're going to do um, individual performances. We'll do player ratings as we go with that as well. Um, I haven't got any fancy graphics. I'm sorry. Um, I haven't had a chance to put any of that together. Um, as I say, got back uh, from the game about 20 minutes or so before um, before going live. So I haven't had any chance to um, to do anything like that. But maybe we'll do a little bit more of a deep dive on the game uh, tomorrow. And, and in that instance, we can do uh, that kind of stuff there. But let's start off with David Rice. So I thought he was a little bit shaky in the first half. Like, I, I hate this idea of the goalkeeper taking an extra touch all the time. I hate the idea of the goalkeeper being closed down and the element of risk that that brings. I always say that the managers that ask their goalkeepers to play that way, they understand the risk and they are 100% happy to see their players take it. Will they be happy if a, a mistake costs them a goal? No, they won't. That's an obvious thing to say. But they understand that the reasons or, or they understand the reasons of, that they want that done. And they understand that with that comes the risk of errors and errors that could, you know, cause you problems. I think my problem with Raya was was that partly, um, you know, the, the first one, the one that Julian Alvarez blocked, which then went into the side net in, which was desperately, desperately lucky on our part, by the way. That really annoyed me because Gabriel had played the ball to him and it wasn't the greatest pass from Gabriel, to be honest with you. But I think as a goalkeeper, you should be able to read the fact that that ball, it doesn't have that much zip on it. It doesn't have that much weight on it. And if you let this run across your body in the right way that David Raya tried to do, you're going to struggle because it's going to take too long to run across your body. And therefore, you are at risk of once you sort of readjust your shape to then clear it, you, you're going to be closed down. You should A, have an idea of where Julian Alvarez is and the fact that he's going to close you down. And B, I think when you realise he's closing you down and you realise that the ball maybe doesn't quite have um, enough weight on it, that you should just clear it first time with your left foot. And there was a question put to Mikel Arteta in the press conference after the match, which I thought he gave a really, really interesting answer to, where somebody said, Mikel, you could feel that the crowd were getting a little bit anxious um, about sort of David Raya's kicking and, and the risks that he was taking with the ball at his feet. And Mikel Arteta said, look, if the crowd want to boo that, I don't think anyone was booing it, by the way, but there was a feeling of anxiety. He said, if they want to boo or criticise it, let them criticise me because he's doing that because that's what I've told him to do. He said that he told David Raya under no circumstances, I'm paraphrasing here, but under no circumstances, to just clear the ball up the field aimlessly. Because if you do that against a side like Manchester City and they force you into doing that stuff, they will just pick up possession and they will keep coming wave after wave after wave of attack and eventually they'll break you down. He was adamant that David Raya should take more care of the ball and that David Raya should take that risk if it meant that it gave him the opportunity to just look up, scan the pitch and then play what was more likely to be a successful pass. And some of David Raya's passes today were excellent. Some of them not so good, but some of them were excellent. You know, no player on the pitch has a 100% pass completion rate, really, do they? So that was really, really interesting because I had gone in at full time thinking, you know, great win, all the rest of it, but I'm still not convinced by Raya. And I said to you guys in the build up to this game that for me, Ramsdale would have been the selection today just because I haven't seen enough from Raya that tells me Yes, categorically, he is 100% Arsenal's number one now. 
But when I heard that from Mikel Arteta, I thought, okay, so now I can kind of relate to Raya in that I don't think he will feel totally comfortable playing that way. But hey, that's the instruction he's been given. That's what he's been told to do. And therefore, he's going to do what his manager asks. I'm not going to give him um, a high rating as a result of that because he did make me feel uncomfortable, whatever the reasoning behind that was. Um, but equally, I thought he came out and claimed a couple of crosses really well in the second half. I thought he was much more comfortable in the second half. I'm going to give David Raya because he kept the clean sheet against Manchester City at the end of the day. I'm going to give him a 7 out of 10. And that might be slightly on the high side in, in a lot of you guys' opinions. Um, but it's largely based on the second half performance. Ben White was playing at right back. The birthday boy, uh, Ben White, celebrating his 26th birthday today. I'm surprised he turned up to the match after all he doesn't like football, does he? Um, I thought he was really good today. Really, really solid. Um, stayed close to William Saliba. Um, tried to support Gabriel Jesus down that right-hand side whenever was necessary. Um, needed to adapt a little bit to the runs that Jesus was making. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought, you know, I never felt in danger with him again. And and I know, like, you know, Manchester City weren't at full strength today. And there was a few bits and pieces that, you know, maybe just didn't quite click for them. But I thought Ben White was a big part of the stability that Arsenal showed today. So I'm going to give Ben White a seven and a half out of 10. William Saliba gets a nine from me. Um, the way he handled Erling Haaland was, was superb. The composure he showed at certain times to nick in and, and poke balls away, um, to take balls down under his spell from the air. Um, I, I just thought, yeah, I, I thought he was really, really good at William Saliba today. And, you know, when a player like Erling Haaland has a quiet afternoon, it's normally because someone else somewhere has done something right. That was a combination of um, uh, of Saliba and Gabriel, but more so Saliba, who I felt was often sort of dueling one-on-one -on -one with him. Um, Gabriel, I'm going to give him an eight and a half. I thought he was incredibly solid as well. Um, had to take over um, with regards to dealing with Erling Haaland at times uh, from Saliba. And when he did, he did it brilliantly. Thought he had an excellent game as well, but he was just he just goes slightly below Saliba for me on the ratings. Uh, Zinchenko, I'm going to give Zinchenko a seven and a half. Um, I don't think he was able to get into the midfield and dictate the game as much as he normally does. That's because it's Pep Guardiola's tactic. He knows it inside out. He knew it was coming. He did go into midfield and he did use the ball well a lot of the time when he had it in that type of area. But it wasn't the normal... Alexander Zinchenko's super influential performances that we've become accustomed to over the years. So I'm going to give Zinchenko a seven and a half. What I was impressed by today was that even when you started to think the game was heading in City's direction around about the 60th minute for a short period of time, there was a couple of moments, especially after Doku came on, when, when he started out on the right, where he was trying to take on uh, Zinchenko and I thought Zinchenko did really well defensively there which is not normally what I say about him moving into the midfield uh, Jorginho I'm going to give Jorginho an 8 out of 10 you know I thought he was excellent you know he had to give away a foul um, in the first half which led to him being booked and when a player in that position picks up a yellow card so early on in the game you're always worried and concerned about the fact that they're going to ultimately be walking a disciplinary tightrope but I thought he dealt with it really, really well. Um, 
I thought he was really good in possession. I thought he was good at receiving the ball under pressure. I thought his passing was excellent. I thought he, um, you know, I thought he conducted things, organized things, dropped into the right spaces and holes when he needed to, um, and brought the control that he was ultimately in the team to bring today. Um, having a player alongside him of Declan Rice's caliber made the world of difference to Jorginho. I've always said this about him. I think on the ball, with the exception of what happened against Spurs, he's excellent. The problem is the, the lack of mobility. But when you've got someone like Declan Rice, who's an absolute monster and can eat up all of the ground around you, all of a sudden that isn't as much of a problem. So for me, Jorginho, I thought was excellent today. He gets an eight out of 10. Declan Rice, nine and a half out of 10. I thought he was flawless today. He was a beast. He was an absolute monster. And I can understand today why there were West Ham fans whinging and moaning about the fact that we'd only paid £100 million for him. Give him another £50 million because he's worth it. He was superb today. Superb in terms of carrying the ball forward when we needed him to, joining in with attacks when we needed him to, also plugging in um, to that slightly deeper midfield role when we needed him to, providing support to Jorginho when we needed him to. I thought Declan Rice was superb. And his ability to, as I say, cover ground, um, come from sort of unfavourable positions and win balls back off players when they're at full tilt. It's just amazing. I thought he was superb. Um, Martin Odegaard, I didn't think he had a great game today. Um, you know, worked hard, as he always does. Um, maximum effort, as you always get from him. But you also have to think that teams like Manchester City and basically every team he plays against are always going to have a plan to kind of deal with him. Um, and when that happens, where your opposition focuses on the threat of one particular player, what you want is that to create space for others. And I, I don't think that was really the case today. Um, but Martin Odegaard, he's the captain. Um, you know, he was leading by example in terms of the pressing game. I thought he was really influential in terms of orchestrating when Arsenal should go and when Arsenal should kind of just stay a little bit. And um, you could see him, if you were in the ground today, giving those instructions constantly throughout the game. I'm going to give him a six and a half. I was a little bit underwhelmed by his performance, but, you know, he's still a wonderful, wonderful footballer. Let's go over to the right wing, Gabby Jesus. I said in the build-up to this game on the big match preview show that we do here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. By the way, subscribe if you haven't already. Um, leave a like on the video if you haven't already. I said that in an ideal world, I don't want Gabby Jesus playing wide. But if he has to play wide, he's shown in his career so far that he can be effective from the right-hand side, not from the left, which is where we've been playing him in recent weeks. He plays on the right today, and I thought he was great. I thought he carried Arsenal's biggest threat down the right-hand side in the first half, carried our biggest threat down the right-hand side in the second half. His ability to dribble in tight spaces, his directness, his trickery, um, his ability to combine with others around him, you know, made him so difficult for Manchester City to deal with. I think this was one of Gabby Jesus' best games in an Arsenal shirt. And that might sound crazy to people because there are other games in which he scored a couple of goals or created a couple of goals and been sort of much more obviously effective, but I thought he was really effective today. He also got back and defended incredibly well. He was hungry, as Steve says in the chat. Uh, Tony says he busted a gut today. Completely agree with all of that. I thought he was brilliant. Jesus is going to get a 9 out of 10 for me. Excellent, excellent performance. 
taking it over to the left-hand side where Leandro Trossard started. I'll give him a rating because he played a half and I'll give Martinelli a rating as well. Um, Trossard is going to get a six from me. I thought it was really underwhelming today. Um, if he was carrying some sort of injury for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes of the first half, that would explain quite a bit of it. But he just didn't get into the game anywhere near enough. And, you know, also you've got to take into consideration that Carl Walker was playing on that side and we all know how difficult he is to get past. But I just didn't think Trossard was at his best today or anywhere near that. And as I say, um, turns out that he picked up an injury and um, he had to come off at halftime. Martinelli, I'm going to give him a nine because he scored the match-winning goal, albeit off the back of a massive deflection. Uh, but we'll take it regardless. Uh, so I'm going to give Martinelli a nine. Um, the goal, but also the energy that he brought, the directness, the outlet that he gave us in terms of the fact that we could drop the ball out onto that left-hand side and let him chase and let him close people down. Also pinned Carl Walker back as well because, you know, Carl Walker then had to think twice about what he was leaving him behind. You know, Carl Walker, as rapid as he is, he might not catch a Martinelli who gets a five-yard head start. He'll definitely catch a Leandro Trossard, but a Martinelli gives you something different to think about. So I thought he was really, really effective. Enketia, um, who played up front, I'm going to give him a six. Really underwhelming. A couple of decent touches around the penalty area. Um, made a good, strong challenge in the first half that got the crowd going, where he dispossessed the Manchester City player out on the touchline. Um, Work rate is always there with Eddie Nketiah, but in terms of effectiveness, six for me. Havertz, who came on, um, I'm going to give Kai Havertz an eight out of ten. The assist, um, you know, the assist is is big. And the fact that he gave us a target to go that little bit longer to. Um, he was playing up front with Tommy Asu at one stage, it seemed like. But anyway, um, I think it was massive. And listen. The Kai Havertz debate has been raging on and on and on and on ever since Arsenal signed him. And I have said throughout his time at Arsenal that for me, the best balanced midfield is that of Rice, Partey and Odegaard. Now, we haven't been in a position where we've been able to do that all that often. But in that case, where does Kai Havertz fit into the group and into the picture? For me, Kai Havertz can play as an eight in a game at home against the side in the bottom half of the table that you're going to dominate and that you're looking to break down, but not in a game like this. However, Kai Havertz is still incredibly effective as a forward player if you use him in the right way. Mikel Arteta used him to great effect in the community shield and he used him in a very, very similar way today against Manchester City. Now, I've been saying to people, stop judging people, uh, stop judging Kai, I beg your pardon, solely on goals and assists because he hasn't been playing as a forward. So why are we obsessed by goals and assists? Why have people chosen to overlook the other things that he's been bringing to the team? Well, I've decided I'm going to play your game now. If you're going to judge him on goals and assists, how about the fact he's got a goal and an assist in his last two Premier League games? Is that good enough for people? If that's how people want to judge him, fine, I'll do it too. I've always said that Kai Havertz gives us an alternative option up front to what we have. And when he came into the squad, for me, the best way to use him was to have him as cover for right across the forward line. Today, he filled that role, coming in off the bench to bring us something different in an attacking position. And when he's got the likes of Partey and Rice behind him and Odegaard and Jesus, who was excellent, as we've said, on the right-hand side, there's no reason why Kai Havertz can't be an effective player for Arsenal. 
So, um, yeah, I, I'm going to give Kai Havertz an eight. In terms of the other subs, Tommy Yasu, um, <laughs> what on earth was he doing playing like a centre forward at times? It was absolutely bonkers. It really, really was. Um, it was mental. I asked Mikel Arteta about that after the game. And he said, uh, maybe I need to improve my Japanese because that wasn't the instructions that I'd given him. Uh, <laughs> but look, I think, again, that was to do with the chess game that we were talking about in terms of how the match went. You know, Doku comes on. Arteta responds to that by bringing Tomiyasu on. Although I think he would have brought Tomiyasu on to replace Inchenko anyway, eventually, because he always does. Doku comes on. Then he goes over to the other side which means Tomiyasu is kind of redundant defensively on that left-hand side. So what does he do? He's aggressive. He goes upfield. Now, it could have gone horribly, horribly wrong, but he gets involved in the attack that ultimately leads to Arsenal's winning goal. So you've got to give Tommy credit uh, for that. So Takahiro Tomiyasu, you get an eight, son, um, for that uh, cameo performance. Uh, Thomas Partey, oh, so good to see him back, isn't it? So, so good to see him back. He gets an eight and a half for me. He brought physicality, he brought uh, positional discipline, he brought awareness to the midfield, and he brought a fresh pair of legs to support Declan Rice, who had run himself into the ground. To replace Jorginho, who had run himself into the ground and was walking that disciplinary tightrope on a yellow card. He gave the platform by sitting with Declan Rice to Martin Odegaard that he hadn't had up until that point in the game. And it's no coincidence that Odegaard started to get more involved after 75 minutes when he had those two behind him. Partey was magnificent. Brilliant, brilliant Arsenal performance. Have I missed anyone out? I don't think I have. I think that's pretty much everyone uh, that was involved today. Uh, let me know in the chat if you agree or disagree with any of those ratings and get your questions in because after this break, uh, we are going to take your questions. I've had a load of questions coming on Twitter this evening as well. But what we'll do is we'll take some from the chat box now and we'll do the Twitter ones in full on tomorrow's episode. That's Monday's episode of the podcast. So, um, yeah, let's focus on the chat box now. Uh, don't forget, if you're watching us live, leave us a like. Um, we still somehow uh, haven't got 400 likes on the board, which is disappointing given how many of you are with us. So please do um, like the video, subscribe to the channel. As I say, we're crawling towards uh, that uh, 30,000 mark here on YouTube, which we'd love to get to sooner rather than later. And if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. Remember as well, you can get additional content on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast via the Another Slice platform. The link is in the description. If you'd like to support us in making more regular Arsenal content. Short pause and then your questions. Don't go anywhere. Ah, this is a good one. I like this from Raul who says, Harry, rate Mikel as well. Mikel Arteta. Let me write this down. Mikel Arteta. You know what I'm giving him? 10 out of 10 today because he got every single decision right in terms of how we started the game based on the personnel that we had in terms of the timing of the substitutions, in terms of adapting our game model to deal with the certain problems um, that, of course, Manchester City can bring. I just thought he was excellent. I really, really did. I thought he was excellent. Top, top performance from the manager. Um, he often gets criticised for his game management, but I thought today it was uh, it was spot on. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if Martinelli shot doesn't take that deflection and end up in the back of the net, then maybe we're talking about this game 
not in a totally different context because I was quite pleased by what I'd seen anyway. I would have sat here and praised Arsenal genuinely. But then when you get the victory, like everything is is seen through a different lens, isn't it? Understandably so. Okay, um, Mark says, what's up with Eddie and Ketia? I don't think anything's up with Eddie and Ketia. I think this is just Eddie and Ketia. Like, and, and I know that maybe sounds a little bit derogatory. That's not what I'm trying to do. But, you know, nobody ever thought that Eddie and Ketia was a top, top elite level striker. Eddie and Ketia is a decent squad striker. That's what he is. Works hard, great attitude, all the rest of it. But is he top, top draw? He's not. And that's another reason as to why I always say that Kai Havertz should be considered as a centre-forward option. Because I think that Kai Havertz um, probably has as much to offer as Eddie Nketiah, if not more, at centre-forward. People complain about Eddie Nketiah's contract, the contract that the club gave him last summer. Ultimately, that was done to protect his value. And I reckon they'll sell him next summer. And then, you know, that would have proven to be a good move because they'll then be able to get a hefty transfer fee, which pays that off. And remember, over the course of that five-year contract, it only costs what people are saying it costs if you pay him throughout that period. Well, if you sell him before that, you've only paid him for two years, shall we say. You've saved three years worth of money, but you've also uh, managed to get your transfer fee in as well. Um, runs with cows, says the spuds are top of the league. Should I be upset? No. Um, I was commentating on Tottenham Hotspur's game yesterday. Really, really difficult for me to do that, by the way, um, particularly when they scored. But anyway, that's a story for another day. I saw enough from Spurs yesterday to feel like they are still a really defensively vulnerable side. And over the course of the season, that will catch up with them. I think they could make the Champions League based on what I've seen of them so far. I think that you know, particularly with the chances of a fifth spot in the Premier League being opened up for Champions League football, you have to fancy them. I think they're better than Man United, for example. I think they're better than Chelsea at this moment in time. So they have to fancy their chances. I think they're better than Newcastle. I think they're better than Villa, who people have talked about. So I think they've got a chance of making the Champions League in terms of them winning the league. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, Temi Ola says, do you think um, Pep Guardiola's decision to field Bernardo Silva at defensive midfield was arrogance or a flaw in judgment on his part? I don't think we overrun them in midfield so much that I can sit here and say that it was a big mistake from Mikel, uh, from, Mikel Arteta, from Pep Guardiola, I beg your pardon. I think I noticed, particularly in the first half, that Bernardo Silva was really often dropping in between the centre-backs, getting on the ball and, and starting moves off for Man City. And we know he can do that because technically he's a wonderful footballer. Great player, great spatial awareness, all the rest of it. I don't think it was arrogance. I, I think that he just doesn't trust in some of the alternatives. He'd said in the build-up that John Stones wasn't ready to play from the start, which is um, why, in my opinion, he didn't start in midfield. Um, he clearly doesn't trust Calvin Phillips. And he'd had a bit of a rant, didn't he, about Mateus Nunez in midfield. Um, well, he wasn't happy with Nunez and Kovacic as a pair uh, the other day. So that would explain why Mateus Nunez was left out. Clearly, he was more unhappy with his performance than uh, Kovacic's. But yeah, I don't think it was arrogance. I think that Pep Guardiola, you know, is Pep Guardiola. I think he, he is someone that believes in the football that his team set out to play. And... Um, you know, he played Bernardo Silva at left back last time and they still beat us. So, you know, I wouldn't look into that too much. Uh, a big thanks to um, 
Zafir Guna, who says, Harry, loved you and Clive on Five Live today. Thank you so, so much, mate. Uh, really, really appreciate it. It was great fun uh, talking Arsenal in the build-up to this one with Clive Palmer from the Arsenal Vision podcast, the GOAT, the legend, the man, the myth. Uh, got to meet him in person today for the first time as well, which was pretty cool. Um, and we were chatting to uh, Seb Basong. Steve Crossman was hosting. Um, Michael Brown, uh, Julian Laurent as well. Uh, John Murray, the legendary commentator, was on there as well. It was uh, brilliant. Mike Mayne of BBC Manchester was there as well. Outside broadcast from a pub. I mean, what more do you want? Like pub service, um, pub atmosphere. And then, yeah, you're on the radio and you're talking football. It's great, isn't it? Uh, let's see what else we've got in the chat. Um, Errol says, Harry, much love from Melbourne. I've been listening to your podcast for ages. This is the first time I've caught you live. Welcome. Good to see you. Okay, uh, do, 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 do. Abby says, should Rambo be reinstated? <laughs> Look, I love Aaron Ramsdale, and I think that at this stage, we've still not seen quite from Raya what it is that makes him a much better goalkeeper. I, I think that's still fair to say, even after beating Manchester City today. But listening to Mikel Arteta's comments, Listening to the fact that Mikel Arteta was 100% satisfied, as long as he's telling the truth, with David Raya's performance and was specifically instructing him to play that way and therefore willing to take the responsibility himself if it goes wrong, I think is a sign that Ramsdale's not getting back in this team right now. He's just not. Um, Pip says, do you think Ramsdale would have done a better job today? I think I would have felt safer because I know that he would have cleared the ball longer and I know that he would have not taken those extra touches. Well, he does do it sometimes, doesn't he? But uh, I don't think you'd have done it as often as David Raya did it. But then we might have given the ball away more and we might have been punished for that, which is the way that Mikel Arteta was looking at it. Steve says, uh, looking forward to the rematch at the Etihad. Saka back in. Any other changes to the starting eleven, Barring any future injuries. Um, Saka back in, obviously, for me, Jesus up front. Um, and then Partey, Rice and Odegaard in midfield. That's the key for me. That's the key. That midfield is good enough to win the Premier League. It's as good as any midfield in world football if they're all fit and available. Problem is, can we keep them all fit and available? Um, what else have we got? Um, DZ Scout says, do you think if we're going to realistically win the league, we need to reinforce this Jan? If so, where? I'd like to see us bring in another midfielder. I'd like to see us bring in another midfielder that's more of an eight than Kai Havertz, who I don't think is a natural eight, which I've said all along. Um, yeah, and we could probably do with one more defensive player as well, because, of course, Timber, um, Timber is out, you know, and, and that's not good. It's terrible news. You obviously don't want to go and sign a long-term player because you want Timber to come back into the picture. After all, Arsenal were willing to spend a hefty amount of money on him because they believe in him. But you feel like we might need one between now and the end of the season. Serious question, says Runs with Cows. Serious question, was Partey coming on the reason why we won today? It was part of the reason. It was a big part of the reason. The three substitutions as a collective were fantastic. All of them worked. All of them raised the level in their position. All of them arguably should have been on the pitch from the start. You know, Tommy Asu's definitely a better defender than Zinchenko. We've had that conversation many a times. 
He's even a better centre forward these days, apparently, as well, because he wins towering headers in the box and sets people up. Um, <laughs> Partey is an upgrade on Jorginho. I don't think there's any question about that. And Havertz was more effective for what we wanted at that point in that game than Eddie Nketiah was. So the substitutions were excellent. They were brilliant. And Partey was obviously one of those. So you could argue that a big part of the reason that we won was was Thomas Partey coming on. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Sonto says, first time on your live. Happy for the massive win today. Congratulations to the Arsenal. Great to see you, mate. Um, I'm going to take one or two more and then uh, I'm going to love you and leave you. Uh, I'm going to go and watch Match of the Day because I want to watch it back again. Um, and we will be back tomorrow with another episode where we'll continue to react uh, to what was a big, big win. We'll um, continue to bring you the fallout um, and we'll do a bit more analysis on Arsenal's performance once I've had an opportunity to watch the game back. Uh, what else have we got? Let's take one or two more. Raul says, Harry, would you rather buy Ivan Tony for 70 million or go for Ossiman next summer for 120 to 130? Rather go for Ossiman. I do worry a little bit about Ossiman coming to the Premier League. I do worry a little bit about how robust he is, whether he'd be able to handle the intensity and, you know, be at his best every week without picking up injuries. It's always a worry I have when players come from a less intense league to the Premier League. It's not to say don't sign Ossiman. I bloody love him. I really, really do. Um, I think he's fantastic. But, um, yeah, that's a, an issue that I always worry about when players come from that division. Uh, Tony says, is there a future for Enketia? I don't think there's a future for Enketia beyond this season. I think it was always the intention to sign him up on a long-term contract, see how it went for another year or so if it didn't work um, and if it doesn't work and I, I don't think it will work in terms of him sort of being at that elite level then we've got value in him and we can sell him turn a hefty profit and uh, and that will be that I really really do think this will be Eddie and Ketia's last season at Arsenal because even for him you know as a, a young footballer he's the record goal scorer for England's under 21s he's done well at times playing for Arsenal I think for me um you know, he's probably at a point where he deserves to be playing every week and he's just not going to get that at Arsenal now. He's just not going to get it. Uh, Zafir says, uh, Harry, are you worried about Martin Odegaard in the big games? Not really. Um, he, he, I don't think he was great today, but, you know, I think a, a lot of the great managers, a lot of great teams will uh, make sure that they, you know, nullify the threat that he brings. I think they'll focus on him they want to stop him operating in the spaces he, he likes to operate in because of how impactful he can be. You don't want to give him time on the edge of the box because we've seen him ping shots into the corners. I think there's so much focus on Martin Odegaard from the opposition that there will be times where he is marked out of the game and we've got to find different solutions and different ways of being creative. But anyway, um, as I say, going to love you all and leave you. Thank you so, so much for joining me on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. As I say, if you sent a question over on Twitter, we're going to tackle those on tomorrow's show. There are so many, I need to go through them and pick out the ones that are sort of duplications. I'm sure there'll be a few and just narrow that down so that we can uh, run through them tomorrow. Uh, thanks again, as always. I'll leave you uh, with me screaming about the goal and a rendition of North London Forever. That was um, 
blasted out by the Arsenal fans at the full-time whistle. Thank you all so much. I'll see you tomorrow and uh, up the Arsenal. We did it, guys. We beat Manchester City in the Premier League. The awful, awful run against Pep Guardiola's side in the league ends. Thank God for that. Tommy Asu into Kai Havertz. Chest it down, Martinelli's shot, deflects him! Arsenal have broken the deadlock on 86 minutes, and it's Gabriel Martinelli with the goal! The substitute, Gabriel Martinelli! He wasn't fit enough to start, but he scored what could be the winner here! His deflected shot beats Edison! And Arsenal are a goal to the good on 87 minutes.